Welcome to the Financial Services Horizon series. I have with me today Brett King and Atta Malik. Hi guys. Hey. Brett, we're hearing a lot of buzz around really this digital transformation programs, the banks trying to catch up with fintechs, they're not getting to the right speed, or in some cases they are getting to the speed. What, what's your views on that? The, the gap generally is widening. Um, I think the fintechs have accelerated technology adoption more broadly, particularly if you look at the UK market, you know, where the challenges have been, had some measure of success. You know, you have uh, Starling, who's profitable there, Monzo, who, who's obviously done a tremendous job in terms of their branding, um, Revolut, you know, who's strong in the in the in the uh, European market. Um, all, all of that success has forced the banks there to, to really speed up their adoption. And they've suffered. Um, you know, in the UK, 40% of salaries are now paid into fintech you know, challenger banks. Uh, so that's a market share shift, a really demonstrable one. But when you look at the really interesting piece is that the market now talks about banks very differently. So if you look, if you um, read the FT or you read the Wall Street Journal, we hear analysts talking about the sector, talking about market capitalization, digital scale, cost of acquisition on digital. Um, you know, we don't, we're not hearing ROE, we're not hearing asset size, we're not hearing non-performing loans ratios and things like that, which is the way we used to describe financial services. So fintech has changed the rules. But if you look at specifically the customer engagement part and the acquisition, who's doing it better from from your perspective? Banks or fintechs? Oh, it's no, it's not even not even close, right? If you look at the leading fintechs in the world, you know, at like Ant Group, for example, 1.7, 1.8 billion customers, the largest deposit product we've ever seen in history, you know, um, in at least modern history, in terms of Yui Bao sitting on the Alipay mobile wallet ecosystem, um, you know, uh, a, th a thousand percent increase in in revenue over the last uh, few years, you know, like th there's there's, it's not even close in terms of it, the way we measure the success of the fintechs who have done this really well versus the traditional banks. The gap is is significant and it's widening. And Brett, I mean, if I take it or bring it to this region here, the banks have the scale, right? If I look at fintechs, yes, there are a few that are coming up, right? But the scale is with the banks. How can they? Having that scale, capitalize better on some of these fintechs. A lot of our clients have tried partnering with fintechs. Sure the model is not as easy because they come from two different sort of worlds or uh, two different cultures. Th as yeah. well. So how can they take advantage of the scale they have and do more uh, with fintechs? Well, it's counterintuitive, but um, the most successful fintechs um, you know, uh, globally at least, are wallet ecosystems. And those wallet ecosystems are designed to really be present, you know, in your life from a technology perspective and give you access to a wide range of financial utility in real time. This requires a, a, a cooperative approach that is counterintuitive for banks generally who have spent so long competing against each other. So if we look at things like digital identity, we look at uh, um, you know cyber security, we look at uh, open banking regulations, um, we look at wallet integration, um, we look at ex you know embedded finance and embedded experiences. All of these benefit from a more open posture from both a technology perspective and a product and experience perspective which is very, very difficult to sell in this region. Brett, 
the question we always hear from our customers is, how can we deliver as fast as fintechs? And I know you have these views that they will never be able to deliver at this pace. But from where can they start, basically, if we look at it? The only way to deliver as fast as a fintech is to become a fintech, right? And this requires you to forget all of your legacy, legacy process, legacy technology, legacy policy, and really create an entirely new uh, organization structure and approach and culture and becoming a true technology first organization. And, and, you know, we hear a lot of banks saying we're going to become a technology company. But in reality, the banking DNA is almost like an immune system response. And that when you try to implement transformation in these large organizations, the banking risk adver aversion and, and the bank, but this is not the way we've done it, you know, that all kicks in and slows that process down. Down. So the only way to be like, you know, as progressive and as cash efficient, you know, and as uh, as transformative as fintechs is to create an entirely separate organization structure that doesn't have to deal with those legacy issues. Um, but the problem for that is, um, you know, as we've seen the banks that have done that successfully, if if you do that and it's super successful, you've still got the problem of turning the big ship, is getting that organizational culture to change. So ultimately what you do come back to is that you need to build a culture of digital first throughout the entire organization and you need to forget your roots as a bank. So culture is key because if you look at it from one perspective today, the, the tools that the fintechs were using basically to go faster to the market while I would say leveraging more SaaS solutions and all these kind of I would say technologies that are available to borrow are now available for the banks. But still, we're, we're not seeing... Well, but but this is a good point you make. You know, I mean, I, I founded Moven back in... I registered the domain Moven Bank in August, August the 8th, 2010. Right? That was when Moven started as a, as a fintech. Um, and I can tell you that in those early days, just even, you know, we were the first mobile banking app in the world to allow you to sign up for a debit card in a mobile app. Right? That was the, the ground we broke. But we had so many barriers to circumvent. We had to get uh, federal and state regulators in the United States to give us a, a pass on collecting a wet signature. We had to prove that we were as good as a, you know, a, as a traditional bank with a branch at KYCing a customer using digital tools instead of a face-to-face -face interaction, as an example. But here's the point, is the things that we take for granted today, like digital onboarding of a customer, um, you know, and the tech for that. We had to build that from scratch because it didn't exist. And the banks weren't asking the core system providers for that capability. And that's where the fintechs really pioneered that stuff. So when you look at the next generation of financial services that we're looking at, the horizon, you know, um, and you look at things like smart glasses and artificial intelligence and so forth, I just don't see the banks being the first in the market to push those initiatives. They tend to be fast followers. And that, that is as much a, a, an issue of culture and legacy as it is uh, the ability to deploy tech. But do you think it's mostly because banks kind of a regulatory-led mindset, right? Because they're heavily regulated. Right. They cannot be that fast adopters because of getting those kind of you know, clearances from the regulators. And, and in, in your experience, how can they work better with the regulators in order to be fast adopters rather than fast followers. This is, this is absolutely key, Atta, because, you know, 
our posture with regulators is we had a very good relationship with regulators, actually. Uh, you know, again, U.S. experience. So the CFPB, the Fed, um, the state regulators, we had met all of them multiple times and told them about what we're doing, um, asked them what their concerns were, asked them how we could uh, satisfy their concerns over doing things that were, had been, you know, was done the first time in those markets. And th what the regulators kept saying to us is, it is so unusual to have these conversations because the banks don't want to have those conversations with the regulators. They're, they're worried that the regulator will say no and so they don't even approach the regulator. So when, when you're trying to launch a new product or service here, you have this entire infrastructure, the compliance team, the risk team, the legal team that say, no, you can't do that because the regulator hasn't specifically said we can do that. Right? Whereas as a fintech, our approach was, well, you're going to have to do this at some time. This is how we would have the conversation with the regulator. Tell us how we can do this so you will feel safer about what we're doing. What, what communication do you need from us? What data do you need from us to assess whether this is creating additional risk or whether, in fact, this is a, a net improvement for the market overall? So that consultative approach with the regulator, that's something that really differentiates fintechs from uh, traditional banks who tend to go, well, the regulator hasn't said, hasn't said we can do this, so we better not. Right? Um, whereas fintechs are like, well, they haven't said we can't, so let's try it. You know. So, Brett, how, how I would say, critical you see cloud in these journeys of transformation for the banks? Because we all heard cloud is the only way forward. Yeah. But from one perspective also, cloud comes in with different perspectives for the banks. They're looking into how to migrate to the cloud, whether the, whereas when you look at the fintechs, they were building from scratch in the right. cloud. Yes. Is this something challenging and do you think this is something that is hindering this transformation, I would say, speed for the banks? Th there's so many aspects of this that we could focus on, but let's just focus on a few. Um, let's focus on, on first the impact of climate change and ESG and you know, good corporate culture, being a good corporate citizen. What we do know that energy management and energy efficiency is going to become in very, very important for compute power. We've seen the, the implications of Bitcoin, for example, with the mining rigs and the massive energy sink that that occurred. Um, but the reality is if you look today at the financial services architecture globally that um, you know more than twice all of the Bitcoin mining energy use comes from financial services so we know at some point there's going to be a reckoning for that and we're going to need to build more efficient energy management in in terms of our IT infrastructure which requires cloud you need to put the data centers closer to uh, generation facilities you need to have much more progressive uh, um, energy management systems that you don't get in on-premise solutions secondly in about 10 or 15 years, that's about the time frame, uh, the advances in quantum computing are going to break all of the current encryption methods we have. So if you're not on the cloud in 10 years time, your entire architecture is exposed. You will not be able to have safe on-premise solutions unless you have a quantum computer in your garage, right? Which most banks won't be able to afford to have their own quantum infrastructure. Um, and then the third element is that everything we're doing 
is requiring more open data, more collaboration, more platform, um, you know, approach to the way we think about not just, um, you know, banking and financial services, but indeed computing itself, the integration of 5G, the uh, graphics cards uh, capability for metaverse, the AI specialized chips like neuromorphic chips and so forth. All of this infrastructure is advancing in the cloud at a much faster rate than it is in on-prem solutions. So whichever way you look at it, cloud, it has to be a central part of your tech strategy moving forward. And, and Brett, so you mean if you had, would say you could tell our clients in the region here specifically five no regret moves that they should be making now in order to deal with what's coming in the future, what would you say those five moves are? First and foremost, um, Top down, from a cultural perspective, the entire team needs to be committed to digital first. If you have resistance, um, then it would be best that you find those managers who are resistant to this change a job outside of your bank, right, frankly, um, because you need to create that top-down um, you know, culture for, for this technology-first organisation. Uh, secondly, start thinking about the technology in, in different ways. Think about technology as part of your tool set for being agile and being able to do different things. And, and in that respect, you know, the way we have thought about technology in the past as a, as a fenced, you know, secure uh, system to manage risk is very different from the sort of technology posture uh, we need to take. Attracting talent you know, in this new world, you know, how do you compete with a, you know, the tech giants, you know, and the, the, the big fintechs in terms of being a sexy organization that people want to work for, you know, salary alone is not going to cut it. So flexible working conditions, things like working from home and, and, you know, those sort of things culturally uh, become very important for attracting talent as, as does, you know, getting integrated into the, the schooling system so that you can grow talent from, from scratch. AI is going to be a core uh, element of the bank moving forward. You really need to build that competency. Uh, but um, you know, this sort of leads to the, the fifth point, which is uh, you're probably not going to be able to hire enough data science and a AI specialists to be a leading organization in this. So you must partner with the right uh, organizations. If you have this posture, whereas you must build it yourself, you will lose in the fight for AI and data Brett, science. you said the keyword partnering. So in, in, in the Middle East specifically, we don't see banks partnering as much as either trying to build their own or to fully acquire. Do you believe this is the right behavior or you really insist on partnering as the key to move forward? Uh, JP Morgan Chase, ICBC, you know, all of the leading banks in the world have thousands of technology partnerships, um, very open platforming uh, approach. Um, they are working together with fintechs and, uh, you know, other specialised uh, firms to even develop patent, patentable uh, technologies and things like that. The, the reality is if, if you look bang for buck at your ability as a bank to deploy capital to create innovation, 
a fintech is going to bend space and time. They're going to be able to do it faster and cheaper than you can do it on every single occasion. So then the question is, why wouldn't you do that? There's a cost advantage and there's a time advantage to partnering with an external organization that doesn't have the legacy process, policy and technology issues that you have internally that are constraints to innovating. Um, and so if you're not partnering, you're just not going to be able to innovate or transform at speed. So you're just picking up on the, on the same point. I mean, our clients have been trying to partner with fintechs in the region. Um, I think one of the issues they're facing, there's so many fintechs that are right. coming. And how do you really get to the ones that are worth partnering with and have a real case? And so we, this we is PwC is also set up right. a ventures business where we help them on this. But what advice would you give to a bank, right? Traditionally, who doesn't think like that? And how do can they improve their partnership program on this? So you've got to have a VC or investment arm because that's the way you learn about where the advantages are from a technology or architecture perspective, what's working, what isn't. Um, and so, you know, and you de-risk by um, investing in, in different organisations and seeing their development, then when you have one that wins, when you have ones that's successful, then you can go in and acquire or take a bigger stake in them strategically and get that, get that advantage. Um, but, um, you know, the, 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 the biggest mistake I see that these big players make is, you know, they, they sort of think like they, they, the only way to do it is have control of the fintech to make them extension of this. But really, a great partnership between a fintech and a bank is that marriage of the two different cultures. And this requires also fintechs that are adaptable. Because, um, you know, having been a fintech that started as a pure play, as a digital challenger bank, and now as a banking as a service uh, provider, what we learned through that process is that partnering with a bank requires us to be flexible. It does require the bank absolutely to be flexible as well, um, but it requires that marriage of the two cultures. If you're as a fintech and you go into a bank and you're like, we know all this stuff better than you guys, we're you know better at, at technology and we're better thinkers in terms of innovation, then, you know, the, the banks will be offended by that and they'll, they'll uh, be turned off by that. So instead, you know, an approach like let you show us what we're thinking about in terms of development and get your input into our product roadmap and, you know, um, and then we can work on building it together. But there's another really key element operationally in terms of partnerships with fintechs that's really critical right, is you must have a dedicated team that helps integrate a fintech into the bank. Right now, who's in charge of fintech partnerships is normally the procurement team because legally or contractually, that's who manages that. And they, and they know nothing about culture. They know nothing about technology. And so you really need that sort of deep, um, you need to build a team for partnerships that has, you know, a, more invested than just get the contract right so if these guys screw up we can nail them to the wall. If you're now the head of a VC in one of the banks, where would you put your money? In which type of fintechs? Um, probably in contextual credit, credit because that's the, uh, you know, I think there's immediate revenue opportunities there. But I would be looking at wallet integration across the board because, you know, whether it's crypto, whether it's CBDCs, whether it's the metaverse, uh, the 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 linkage between all of those in terms of successful play is going to be that that cloud-based wallet infrastructure. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Arthur.